Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 100 of the podcast. Yeah, we made it, man. This thing started uh, actually just shy of two years ago when it was just a dream, just a little idea. You know, it's made it so amazing. You guys, you guys, you guys are the best. And I just want to say thank you so much, man. You've been so encouraging. Get lots of email, lots of social media uh, thank yous. And uh, lots of you give just super encouraging feedback. And it's been such a privilege to interview top leaders for 100 episodes now. And, you know, God willing, I hope there's a hundred more, maybe a lot more than that. I love doing this. And I love, you know, this whole thing started with this little dream of just like bringing some of the conversations that for whatever reason I was able to have um, into the public sphere, because I'd always walk away from like lunches or green room conversations going, man, I wish everybody could have heard that. And I just feel like now everybody can hear it and it's so cool. So whether you were with us for episode one with Andy Stanley or in the middle with Craig Rochelle or Ravi Zacharias or Louis Giglio or, you know, some of our more recent episodes and lots of people that maybe you had never heard of, but you learned so much from and you've maybe started following. It's been a great journey. And I just want to say thank you to you, the listener. In fact, we've got a giveaway for you every single day for a week starting soon. I'm going to tell you exactly how you can get in on that. Let me do a couple things. First of all, I want want to introduce you to today's guest. His name is Peyton Jones, and he does an awful lot for the local church, man. He is a serial church planter, self-described, heart for evangelism. The only guest so far in 100 episodes to actually get beat up for, like, talking about Jesus, uh, which, or at least that admitted it. So anyway, that's going to be fascinating. Hey, and uh, you're going to love my conversation with Peyton. He's so real, so authentic. You're going to love it. We got a lot coming up too. We've got Lee Kreiker from Pittsburgh and Lee really did an amazing thing, turned a church around that was dying. It was actually a church he planted, came back a second time. Fascinating. Gavin Adams, uh, wow, what a raw, real interview with him coming off a sabbatical. I've got Dan Ryland, Tony Morgan, Kara Powell, uh, Todd Wilson, lots of others lined up on the podcast this fall that you are going to love and uh, a lot more beyond that too. So uh, make sure you subscribe if you haven't. I also want to thank this episode's sponsors. Thank you to Enjoy Stewardship Solution. They actually bring to you my blog via email. So if you subscribe to my blog, either in the daily or the weekly digest, uh, you'll make sure you never miss this podcast because it'll be emailed to you via the blog. But you also get my other writing. I usually post every Monday and then later on in the week, some brand new fresh leadership insights. We've got 30,000 leaders who subscribe to that right now. We'd love for you to be one of them. If you're not, just go to kerryneuhoff.com, pick daily or weekly and subscribe. And you'll make sure you never miss a thing, including this podcast. So you can do that. Also, uh, if you haven't registered for Orange Tour, man, don't miss out. It starts in a month. Go to orangetour.org. I'm going to be in a dozen cities this fall. Would love to connect with you. And we're going to talk about leadership, time management, and how to get ready for Monday. Um, It's going to be fantastic. So make sure you drop by orangetour.org and register before it's too late. Now, I want to talk to you about the Facebook giveaway because I am so excited about that. So here's what we're going to be doing. This, I'm declaring Listener Appreciation Week. 
That's what I'm declaring it as. Why? Because the reason we got to episode 100 is because of you. And so I just want to say thank you to you. Thank you to you for leading. So here's what I'm going to do. Starting today, I'm going to give away Starbucks every day. I'll be uploading a Starbucks gift card to my Facebook page every single day at different times. We're going to stagger it. So you got to pay attention. But if you happen to be in line or nearby, hopefully you get a free Starbucks or macchiato or whatever you love. It kind of is summer. I did this, you might remember if you're a regular listener a few months ago on Instagram. And that was amazing. People loved it. You guys were great. We'd love to see pictures, by the way, if you win, post them to your Facebook and tag us. Um, But in the meantime, go to Facebook, Look for Carrie Newhoff author, okay? And you will see that page. That is the only place you can win. And uh, we got a little trick for you because you know how Facebook sort of jigs the algorithm and you see things and you miss things. So if you go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 100, episode 100, look at the show notes. There's a little screencast there, just some screenshots that show you how to make sure that you get notified when we post it, okay? So like immediately, if you put me first in your newsfeed, you will see that, hey, there's a Starbucks card. You can be there. Boom. Maybe you'll win. I hope you do. Every single day until next Monday, August the 8th, we're giving stuff away. Free Starbucks on Facebook. So you can do that. And um, in the meantime, hey, so excited to bring you this conversation with Peyton Jones, all about how to do evangelism in a changing culture. Here we go. Hey, Peyton Jones is my guest. Peyton, good to hang out, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. Great. So, Peyton, you're not very ambitious. You run Church Planters Magazine. You host the Church Planter Podcast. Uh, you lead a church. You planted a whole bunch of churches, and you're an author whose next manuscript is due tomorrow, correct? <laughs> correct. Yeah, so you don't do much. Um, no. <laughs> you're a serial church planner as well. Just tell us about, you know, how you've been spending your time in ministry and what makes your heart beat and all that. Yeah, well, I spent about 12 years overseas in Europe. Um, I was a, a church planner, reluctant church planner. The, the way I first planted a church was I quit ministry. I'd had mm. my teeth kicked in a church, told God I quit, liked him, but didn't like uh, working for him anymore. Definitely thought some of his people were mean yeah. and ended up accidentally planning a church in a Starbucks found I was kind of addicted to getting thrown into the middle of a bunch of lost people and, uh, you know, kind of starting from ground zero. So that became my addiction to church planting. Some people get tattooed. I, I you know, <laughs> uncover their body. I plant churches. Uh, how many have you planted? Gosh, um, if, if you look at the way I do it, I do it in teams. So we do it okay. in kind of a network style. And I think I'm up to... I got to, I got to think about that. I think I'm close to 10 or 11. That's pretty amazing. And you're 90 years old. No, I'm kidding. Like that's a lot of churches and not over a a big window of time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, Tell me about Europe. Where did you plant in Europe? So I was in Wales, UK. So I started off with a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones. Of course, I am 90 years old now. (laughs) Well, I I was going to say, if you knew Martin Lloyd-Jones, you probably are 90 years old. Oh, we were so tight. And (laughs) no, I'm teasing. I, I went over there. Uh, to Wales because it 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 was 1.6% of the population was uh, church attenders and 0.03% were evangelical. And I, I have to tell people because I'm not 0.03%. Yeah. That's crazy. I tell people that's a third of a percent, man, wow. if I got my math right. And I'm not good at math. 
But uh, I got hired to be the evangelist at Lloyd Jones's old church. No way. And uh, and and I was a I was a terrible evangelist, which uh, I, I I think in some ways really helped me. But I think I learned evangelism the hard way. So and, when you got zero point zero three percent of people attending church, what do you do to reach out into your community? Well, there were a bunch of things I did that didn't work. Okay, and let's start there. That's good. <laughs> so, you know, I got there and I, I didn't want to be Johnny on the spot. So I was like, hey, you know, what do you guys do? You've been here. This is a tough country. Teach me. And they said, well, these are the things we do. And so they were things like open air. All I basically, to sum it up, it would be all the things that people quake in their boots at when you mention the word evangelism, going door to door, um, right. you know, talk cold, talking to people cold on the street. Um, and then they said, look, you know, sometimes because it's a rugby nation, we uh, have rugby uh, players come that maybe gave their life to Christ and we'll throw a dinner. I tried all of that for a year and nothing worked. So you're going door to door, you're doing street evangelism, rugby stuff and like zero results. Absolutely. Okay. And the, the one thing that, that kind of showed a little bit of promise, and I could probably come back to this later, was we took a video camera out on the streets and to the pubs and nightclubs. And I, I suddenly had like six guys turn up. I thought, man, this church is on fire for evangelism. Turns out the pastor was like, look, he's going to get murdered out there. So they, these big guys came with me. That none oh, of them they didn't come to either. watch you die. They came to protect you. They did not come to evangelize. And they were terrible evangelists as well. And, and so we went out there. But as soon as we put a video camera in front of people and asked them to talk uh, about their beliefs and what they felt, they just opened up and soon the video camera would go away and people would start, you know, tears would start flowing and they'd start telling their deep, dark secrets. And I, I, I learned something that the most effective evangelism is really a conversation. And mm. if you read the Gospel of John, yeah. it's really a symbol uh, record of conversations with Jesus. So, so you started, what, you just walk into a pub and you'd start saying, hey, we want to hear your story, or what would you say? Well, okay, so if, if you Google whales, um, uh, drunk, uh, weekends, um, you, you'll get, there was a photojournalist who did a series of, of shots of cities and whales, and, and people have a hard time understanding this, but on a Friday, Saturday night, the police come out in riot gear. The streets are barricaded off. No cars can go through. People are staggering drunk in the streets. It's very violent. You'll see guys that are Reuters in the pubs, and they're they're stretching out. And this is a working-class town. Um, <laughs> so everybody gets rip-roaring drunk every Friday and Saturday night. Yeah. So so it was kind of like, you know, past 10 o'clock, don't feed the the, the gremlins, man. Get, get off the street. So it would have been dangerous for us to be out there. In fact— um, Carrie, I don't know if you can see it, but, uh, over my, uh, left eye, I've got a big nasty scar. kind of looks like a wrinkle okay. that was 10 weeks in the country in the Detroit of Europe, uh, Port Talbot steel working dockside town. And I had a roided up rugby player on a Sunday morning in a case of road rage, uh, basically lift me up like, like, like I weighed nothing and pound my head into the ground until I passed out in a pool of blood. Seriously. 
it's a it's a rough place. And so um, so all those things, you know, nothing we did really worked. <laughs> and then 9-11 hit. Yeah. And when 9-11 hit, suddenly I found uh, my support dried up in half. I was a statistic. 50% of American charities got cut in half because the American public panicked. So I ended up having to work to stay there as a missionary. And as I did, I I started working on the factory floor. Now, this is where evangelism got good. Suddenly, I'd be in the in the canteen, which is like the, you know, the break room. And as I was there, uh, you know, I just start having conversations. It wasn't until I started working alongside people and, and I called him. A, I called it a dungeon. I mean, Blade Runner was filmed uh, in one of the factories where I worked at. So, um, you know, the part where they're on Mars, wow. I'm not even making this up. <laughs> wow. And uh, and so I ended up just finding people just coming to Christ within just even a, a few weeks already. A few people had already come to Jesus. How would you start those conversations? Well, what was funny is it was not a solo operation. It was, it was a, a team effort. So remember those guys that came out on the street that were terrible at evangelism? Uh-huh. Suddenly they were emboldened by, hey, our evangelist is working here. He's over on line three and they'd be over on line one. And they, they would have had conversations, but they'd say, hey, meet us over here in the break room. And, and it was basically like setting up a basketball play. You know, there was the layup and then boom, I'd come and slam dunk it. And, no uh, and, and the conversations were very honest. For example, I can remember we had this guy. Uh, he, was, he was the first guy to get saved. His name was Stephen Beachy. Um, I just saw him a few weeks ago when I went back to Wales. And he was a power lifter for Wales. Oh, and wow. uh, for the nation, he, he was he was kind of well known, but he so, was so roided up. He was mean as all get out. And uh, everyone was kind of afraid of him. And this isn't a factory of like, you know, it had to have been hundreds and hundreds of people. And uh, he 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 met with me and I guess he was kind of into self-improvement, you know, like when yeah. you're powerlifting and um, something had appealed to him. And at one stage, I just really felt. Uh, this insight into him where I said, well, you know, as strong as you are, Steve, really when it, when it all boils down, everybody's weak in Mm -hmm. some area of their life. And it was like a Holy spirit just shot a bullet to his brain and he was just stunned. And he said, you know, it's the first time anyone's ever said that to me. And you're so right. And so I, I said, well, that's how Peter was. He, he's a strong guy. He's hauling nets in. And uh, Steve, you're like Peter, man, as strong as you are. You know, Peter was the weakest of them all. And that just really appealed to him. And he, he understood he needed Jesus. You know, in that moment, we were, we were just sitting down talking, just like you and I are talking now. That's incredible. So you went from the organizational to the personal. Absolutely. That's really what happened. And you, know, you got to I've, know people. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no. It, I've been a deconstructed minister now for <laughs> <laughs> since 1999. That could be my card. Deconstructed. Okay. <laughs> so personal evangelism. How did that change the church in Wales? Like what, where did that story go? Where did that chapter go? Well, I kept trying to do like the, you know, the traditional um, where church as an audience, you know, come, come in, sit down, shut up and listen. And it, it just, 
it, it wasn't working there. And yeah. for, for the Welsh population, they've only been to church for weddings and funerals. So, and, and again, it's the same thing. It's, it's very formal. I mean, there's no more formal place than a church at a funeral or a wedding. Right, right. So, so that's they were, where all their memories and impressions are built. Absolutely. And so what happened to me was uh, I, I got my teeth kicked in in this one church that I took straight after Lloyd-Jones's church. And that had been a very good experience. But I took a call to become a pastor in what was known as the Black Spot of Wales. And that was a place where in the land of revivals, revival had never touched. And so wow. as I as I got there, um, we started seeing the Holy Spirit move. It was wonderful. But anyways, got my teeth kicked in. And so I, I, I ended up resigning. And so I literally went, and figuratively, you just keep getting your teeth kicked in. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so and, and, and yet, you know, uh, like a like a cat, you know, that uh, uh, no matter how bad you abuse, it, it's going to wander back to you. That that's <laughs> that's how I feel with whales. I, I love whales to death. And Here's here's the thing was when I when I had gotten really hurt in that church, I suppose, because the Holy Spirit was moving so powerfully, people were getting saved outside the church. We were seeing, you know, very good success. And yet um, when I when I felt I needed to resign there, uh, I went to work at Starbucks and was coming home as what I had felt as a failed missionary. Hmm. And when I, when I was working on the bar, people would come through and they'd say, Hey, you're, you know, you're, uh, you're an American, you're a Yank. What are you doing here? And I remember just, you know, kind of telling them, well, what job looking at me? And of course, this is the face made for podcasting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, they, they would say, Oh, well, I couldn't, you know, but imagine me, what's the job you least picture me doing? And they'd say, well, ballerina and I'd say well you got me there you know yeah, I, I, yeah. That, but but I'd say I'm a preacher and they would say oh you're a preacher cool man where's your church and and then they would I, I can't tell you how many times I heard people say the Blues Brothers is your church like the Blues Brothers and, and, and I had mean? to I, I, I had to hearken back to kind of what I could remember and I remember that that one scene in the beginning where Jake gets his 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 vision we're on a mission yeah. from God. Yeah, we're on a mission. He's in the church and people are dancing and singing. And of course, someone's jumping on a trampoline, I think, because they're doing right. double backflips. And I and I told him, you know, I, I, I get what you're saying. No, uh, I, my church wasn't like that. But uh, they said, well, man, what is your church like? Because I'm talking to you and you seem cool. And man, I'd go to a church that that, that you were leading. And, and I thought, you know, man, I'm like little Bo Peep. I don't have any sheep. I'm, I'm just this lowly, you know, coffee maker because the world needs God and good coffee. And I'll just keep doing my thing here. And, and, and one, one day I was sitting on my sofa. So many people come through the bar and they would always ask me, uh, what do you think of Dan Brown Da Vinci Code? Oh, yeah. And, and that was on the bestseller list. And our Starbucks was in a Borders Books. And uh, it was a huge Starbucks. They had taken the upper half of And where the were you at this time? Just to trace out the story you were in. What? I was in a town called Swansea, Wales. Okay. So and, still in uh, Wales. Still in Wales. Getting ready to come home. Finishing up in, okay, in gotcha. MA. Yeah. And uh, I thought when I finish my MA, you know, this just pay the bills. I'll, I'll head back. And um, so I, I said, you know, I'm sitting on my sofa 
just praying. I said, Lord, you know, I don't work for you anymore. And uh, I don't really want to do any heavy lifting. I tried all that. I did all that. But Lord, everyone's asking me about this book. If, because you can't, you can't switch your heart for the lost on or off like a light switch. Yeah. And, and when I, when I quit ministry, it was more because I did, I had gotten tired crawling over grumpy Christians to reach lost people. And I was like, I'm just not doing that anymore. So well said. And, and so I I just said, Lord, you make it happen if you want me to do it. Because I feel this responsibility. So many people are asking me that night we're locking up the Starbucks. And, uh, as I'm, I'm like literally mid Chuck, I'm chucking muffins into a trash bin, mid Chuck. And the, my boss says, Hey, Jonesy, you know how you're like a preacher? And I said, yeah. He said, uh, could, could you do a church thing here? You see, the district manager, she's breathing down my neck because we don't have uh, enough uh, social activities. And we, we, you know, Starbucks in Europe, we have to be socially minded, socially, socially conscious. So could you do a church thing and I'll get her off my back? I was like, wow, that was quick, Lord. <laughs> That night, you can't make okay. this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. Can't make it up. And uh, so I threw this this reading group down. I got, I used my employee discount to buy wow. a bunch of cakes, but you know they're expensive, so I cut them into fours. And, uh, <laughs> but I got unlimited free coffee. That's the policy. Mm-hmm. So we we threw this one night only Dan Brown Da Vinci Code reading group, and I had a scholar from the local seminary, a New Testament scholar. And he was just playing it cool. And he debunked it at a certain point, came in at just the right point. But we talked for an hour, hour and a half. And at the end of that night, they said, are we doing this again? Really? And I said, no. And they said, well, could we? Now, remember, I'm I'm not doing so hot. You know, I don't want to be in ministry anymore. And I said, you know, uh, guys, it would be stupid. I mean, we could, but it's just going to be lame. We'll just go through the same thing again. And they go, yeah, yeah, no, we, we, we totally want to do that. And, and I said, well, why? And they said, well, we're drinking good. One guy said, we're drinking good coffee. We're talking about Jesus and nobody's yelling at us. Mm-hmm. And that was like a revelation to me that, that there wasn't really a safe place for them to go to church. So I thought, man, we're going to, okay, we'll do this again. So I said, okay, same book. Round two, night two someone heard that stuff was going on and some Christians came. Now the Christians almost killed it. So we're in there there and they're going, no, but the Bible says, and I I kept having to moderate and say, Hey, 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 settle down, settle down, settle down. Let's respect other people's opinions. And this conversation when it was going was good. So at the end of that night, I found all the Christians round up, said, Hey, thanks for, for praying. You know how you could really help me is, is by uh, praying for me some more. Thanks for helping, but you can't come back mm-hmm. because you're killing it. You're wrecking it. And so we did it the third night. Now each night it was first night, 30 people, second night, 40 people, third night, 50 people. And uh, that was about where we, we kind of hit a, uh, a, a, a boundary because we, sure. we were given so much space and we couldn't expand beyond that. And uh, it was a huge Starbucks. So we, we took up half of it with 50 people. Wow. And, uh, and we just kept doing that. And the end of the third night, I said, well, what do you guys want to do? Like life of pie? Because I'm thinking that deals with universalism. And I'd really like to uh, kind of introduce them to Jesus and debunk that a bit. Right. And challenge them and 
Um, but they said, no. One of the girls said, you know, uh, Dan Brown has his false gospels. What if we went through, you know, those, those, those ones that were really from his really real disciples? And I was just like, okay, God, this, you're just making this too easy. <laughs> this is just low-hanging fruit. This is, and nothing I had done in all the years to try to, to reach people other than just being a normal guy, yeah. working side by side. Yeah. It's, it was just like the Lord is going, right, are you done? Are yeah, you done yeah. trying yeah. to do it all? Because I'm here and I'm powerful and I'll work through you, but you kind of got to get out of my way. And I that's felt crazy. like for the first time, that's what had happened. Wow. So that that's really interesting. You know, I haven't spent time in England or Wales or Scotland or Ireland, but I have spent a fair bit of time in Europe over the last decade, um, both ministering to church leaders and, and personally. And I'll tell you, it's, it's a very, very different environment. And for leaders whose context is North American, I mean, most of our listeners are American. We have a few Canadians and uh, mostly we have global audience as well. Um, but if you've never been to Europe and you live in a Western context, it's very, very interesting. Do you see Europe as a bit of a preview of what might be coming in some areas of America as things become more post-Christian? And I heard Tim Keller recently call it post-secular. We'll get to that in a minute. But like, did, did, did you see, do you start to now see elements of that culture in your culture? Because you're, you're in America again, right? You're in, are you in California? I'm in California. Yeah. So. yeah, whereabouts? Uh, I'm, I'm just North of San Diego in between San thought. Diego and yeah. LA. Yeah. So that's not exactly the Bible belt either. So <laughs> no. Yeah. So what, no. what similarities do you see between Europe and, and even California? Well, it, it's funny cause you know, I, you and I have, have spoken before and I've had you on my podcast. You're actually my favorite author. And I think the oh, reason why, um, in, in the church today that I connect with you so much is something you said once where you said Canada is kind of the halfway mark yeah. uh, between probably where America's headed and where Europe is. Yep. And that, that was really profound to me. And I hadn't thought about Canada that way, but it, it, it made sense. And yes, I do see America uh, quickly uh, heading that way. I think we've got a generation gap that's yawned that we're just waking up to. But I can remember gosh, as early as the early 2000s, coming back, looking around in the church and saying, all the young people are gone and we don't realize it. That's exactly what had happened in Britain. Come the 60s, the sexual revolution had put the church to bed. And, Pardon you know, the, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the young people left. They, yeah. they just stopped coming. And, uh, but because the numbers were still full, the, 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 the congregation still felt pretty meaty, no one panicked. It, it gave them almost a false sense of security for a few decades. But then the church shrank by attrition. In other words, people started dying. The, the, the black and brown and blonde hairs got silver and eventually they died. And as they died, the church shrank without a generation to come up behind it. We're there already. So as I've seen the advent of the books like the Duns, the Nuns, the, mm -hmm. the D Church, that's us waking up just a little too late. It is too late. And I actually think that what we, um, it's not too late. Let, let me put it this way. Sure. It's not too late to do the right thing, but it's almost like starting over. I think people right now are trying to save 
the existing system in the existing churches. And of course, I'm passionate about church planning because never more before have I seen that a post-Christian or post-secular world is very similar to a pre-Christian world. Yeah. Um, the, the challenges Paul had are the exact same challenges we face. And so I find myself going back to the book of Acts to try and find the keys. That's what we've said so often here in the last two decades, north of Toronto at Conexus and the predecessor church where I've served. I just said, hey, guys, you know, we have more in common with the Apostle Paul than we do with your grandparents. And once you realize that and you start to reach out into the community, um, things, things make a difference. Now, Ravi Zacharias has been a guest on this podcast a couple of times. Last time he was here, episode 83, he said something really interesting, which is uh, it rem- what you were telling me about Wales and that little Starbucks Bible study group. You, he, he says, basically, the world is on a pendulum. And he said, in, in the Eastern world, where they've rejected, like, for example, in, in Russia, in Europe, where they've rejected Jesus deeply and profoundly now for, you know, decades and decades, some would argue in Germany, even a century or so, um, he's starting to see a rebound in the young. Mm. And in India, he's starting to see a real hunger and a curiosity because they're not rejecting their parents' faith. Yes. They realize that secularism is bankrupt. That, that yep. really there's nothing there. And he says, so I have no problem getting 10,000 people to come out in the developing world to meet Jesus. But you go to America and obviously he's Ravi Zacharias. He's going to get 10,000 people wherever he goes. Sure. But he says it's just harder in America. It's harder in Canada because we're still at the point of kind of throwing out what mom and dad and grandma and grandpa or great grandma and great grandpa um, did. And so the pendulum is swinging towards secularism. Whereas in other parts of the world, it's toward post-secularism. Any thoughts on that? Absolutely. I think that um, it, it, it is true. And that the, what we found was we found a lot of young people coming to Christ, kind of kind of like you were. Uh, it, it's bucking the trend, perhaps. And, and, and yet, um, so much of your approach I found refreshing. I feel like when I've read your books, like that's exactly what we feel. And, mm-hmm. and so... For us, one of the things that, that we really noticed was, and, and most of it was failing forward. We didn't, we weren't smart enough to figure out, hey, we're doing what they did in the book of Acts. But yeah. for example, um, in the book of Acts, uh, Paul has his proclamation evangelist, evangelism style where he preaches to crowds of people that are just listening. But it also says that he went into the synagogue and he reasoned with them concerning Jesus. And and that means a dialogue. And that was a very rabbinical way of leading someone to understanding or to faith. And we found that in Wales uh, and and also with any, I I would say any, any young generation person today, you're, you're going to find, gosh, that sounded old when I said that, but any young person (laughs) today, uh, you're, you're, and I am getting older. Here's the deal. But, they You're not that old. The, well, they, you know, thank you for saying, and 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 I feel old, but they interact. Everything they do it used to be like with us, man. We just go see a movie. We'd sit and watch a movie. Nowadays, they're like, "Oh, this movie is so lame," and they're interacting the whole time. Everything yeah. is interactive. The Pokemon Go now. Interaction is the key. Community is the key for them. Mm-hmm. And so the one place in the world where they're told to come in, sit down and shut up and listen and not interact is the church. And so we found that that doing church as an interaction 
was rich. And, and like I said, back to with the video camera on our shoulder, you get people talking about what they believe and they're, they're ready. They're like, okay. hey, I, I've been waiting to, to, to talk, man. You're going to let me talk? Wow. So let's go there. Um, you're now, you planted some churches in the U.S. What did you take from your U.K. experience <laughs> back to the U.S. and what worked and what didn't? Okay, well, one of them is the understanding that I have absolutely no clue what I'm doing most of the time. <laughs> Welcome that, to that, that, that was one. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, right? Yeah. So I, I came back. I planted in inner city Long Beach. And a uh, funny story about that is, is I, I, God has convinced me that if you take me and you, you, you plant me in another area, um, I'm going to have to start over from ground zero because I'm, I, there's no such thing as an expert in church planning. When you're in your best place in anywhere, I would say, in the Christian faith, you're out of your depth. That's why evangelism is scary, um, but it's such a transformational experience because I never feel ready. I'm like Paul, man, where he's writing, going, hey, pray for me for boldness, that I would speak the gospel boldly as I should. I'm that dude. I'm that reluctant evangelist. And I'm pretty honest about this stuff. I tell people, oh, man, you know, like I, I start off just evangelizing because I know I need to. And then at a certain point, I feel what Paul says where he goes, the love of Christ is compelling me right now. Like yeah. I'm feeling God's love come through me. So I tell people, hey, instant people person, just add the Holy Spirit. Because normally I'm like you, I'm, I'm driving and, and I mean your audience, I mean, not like you, Carrie. I right. know you're nice, but your audience isn't nice. You know, they're driving down the freeway and they're, they're, they're upset at people and hey, you cut me off, you jerk. And yeah, you know, I that's feel that. No, I know. Every day. I know. Uh You're so holy. uh, You know, (laughs) me, I'm. (laughs) I don't have a fish on my car for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you're feeling that way. And yeah. So, anyways, I, 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 you know, we go to Long Beach and I'm like, okay, God, I just need you. And the, the Friday night before our Sunday launch, this, I didn't know this, our Sunday launch, I'm, I'm a dummy. I scheduled it the 10 year anniversary of 9 11. And, you know, I'm not thinking, hey, that probably is a bad day to schedule a church launch. And uh, the Friday night before we were meeting in a community center, they call us up and say, hey, because we're uh, government employees, you can't meet here because uh, it's a national holiday and we have to take the day off. Hmm. So that's Friday night. They caught it last minute. So I'm like, great. So, so I've this learned is launch day I, for I, you. Yeah, launch day. So I go on this long walk around the block with God and I just say, Lord, you know, okay, you knew this. Like in my younger days, that would have floored me. It wasn't fun, but I at least came to him and said, hey, you know, God, you know, you you get me out of this. And uh, so I I had this amazing thought, which I'm sure did not originate with me. Go pick up a bunch of launchers from the mothership, our sending church. And uh, go plant them outside. So we did. So we met in the park outside. Well, somebody had put an American flag on the easy up just because it was 9-11, 10-year anniversary. And I got to tell you, inner city, they're not really rah-rah flag wavers. Most inner city communities. Mm-hmm. I remember looking at it going, huh, I don't, I don't know that that's what we ought to be doing. I, I'm not sure, you know, that. And I just felt in my heart, just leave it. Well, what happened was we're meeting in the open air. It's this park. And, uh, man, everyone must have thought it was a 9-11 memorial service because we got the hugest crowd out to really? it. 
And, and, and so again, it was just the Lord going, Hey, just get out of my way. Let me do my thing. And, uh, at the end of the, the, the first service I'm preaching. And by the way, I preached the most amazing sermon because I changed it. I saw the crowds and I went, what I had is no good. And so I was wow. like, Lord, just change it. I, I can't remember. I can only give tribute to the greatest sermon in the world. I, I, I can't remember it, but it's something <laughs> about the cross, something about 9-11 and the Twin Towers. And I just remember go, it was almost like I made it up as I went, which wow. isn't me at all. But I, I knew I was being helped. And at the end of it, a lesbian raises her hand and goes, hey, I don't mean any disrespect. She didn't know the rules. Right? You're not yeah. supposed to interrupt the preacher. She goes, I don't mean any disrespect. But uh, I'm a lesbian. Um, what is what is all this, you know, grace and love and mercy you're talking about in Jesus? What does that mean for me? And the last time I checked, no one gets a second gospel. Right. Right. There's not two versions of it. So I said, well, you know, it, it, it means the same for you as anyone else. And I heard some Christians go, <gasps> this sudden intake of breath, like, did he just say that? I mean, the gospel's scandalous, right? Yeah, it is. And, um, and, and you were asking, what did I carry? with me. What was kind of cool was um, our people, because I had been training them to interact, they just took over. Really? You know, they were, they were peppered throughout the crowd. And one lady said, oh, hey, you're a lesbian. You shouldn't. She was a, an art professor at a local uh, art school. And she's like, hey, you think you're bad? Let me tell you about who I am. She hmm. shares a mini testimony. Someone else says, hey, you would never know to look at her. An attractive blonde lady. She says, you know what? Um, I was homeless in my car and I can't even tell you things I had to do to survive. But you know, wow. God got a hold of my life and it was just beautiful. And it turns out we, we we ended up just, you know, afterwards hanging out with her. She came to faith and that was just the first of many radical conversions that happened in, in Long Beach. We've baptized members of uh, the Aryan Brotherhood right next to members of the Mexican Mafia. Wow. Right there in Long Beach Harbor. Wow. I mean, it's 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 a rough area. We've had, you know, unfortunately, we have a big prison ministry because a lot of our people get saved and turn themselves in. Hmm. We've had people off America's most most wanted. Our, our record holding uh, convict spent thirty eight years in prison. Wow. Um, you know, so, <laughs> I've so heard many confessions. <laughs> you've talked about dialogue, and I hear that in everything you've said so far. How do you facilitate that in your church and what recommendations would you have? Because, I mean, we do have the monologue thing. And I know a few people who've set up tables, but that doesn't scale particularly well. You know what I mean? You can get 50 yeah. people or 100 people around a table. So if you're trying to reach a lot of people, um, like is small yeah. groups the answer, honest dialogue? How do, you, how do you actually structure that? And what's been your experience with that um, facilitating dialogue with the unchurched, not just with Christians? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so the first thing, remember that Starbucks experience, we mm -hmm. just transplanted that. The, the yeah. only reason we actually went to a Sunday service eventually was because someone came up to me and said, Hey, uh, I don't know, you know, I'm reading about this worship stuff and I was in my shower and I started singing Spirit in the Sky. Would God be cool with that? Like, was I worshiping? <laughs> that old 60s song. Yeah. Yeah, Doc and the Medics. And I, and, and I'm, oh man, I'm sure God was pleased. But I thought, man, we really got to do something so these people know worship and we can't do it in Starbucks. They draw the line at singing. So, <laughs> especially in a bookstore. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So we, uh, we, we, we engineered the whole service so that we would not lose 
that interaction. And so this is what it would look like. It looked okay. fairly typical to what you would have, you know, in most churches. It just had an added component. So it would be uh, you'd come in and you'd, you'd see we, we went to Ikea and we picked up a bunch of coffee tables and we would set a limit at the groups that the, the number of chairs around a little Ikea coffee table would be eight to twelve. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we would worship and everybody, they, they would be a bunch of horseshoes, meaning you could fit less people in the room. But our goal wasn't to cram as many people in the room as possible. Our goal was to multiply. We, we do this elsewhere. And so what happened was um, the worship player would go, the words would be on the screen. Then the guy would preach. Um, if, if I were joking, I'd say, you know, you'd come in, I'd paint the picture and say, and then the sexiest man in the world stands up there ready to preach. And I'd say, <laughs> yeah. just joking. We're talking about your church, not mine. Right. And then, uh, and then, so after that, what would happen is when I was done preaching, um, on the screen would come up a number of questions that would be thoughtful. They'd be reflective. They would, they would, they, they would be um, questions that would get people being honest. And then at each group, there'd be a leader. And during the last song of worship, um, you know, this is, I'm a little bit out of order. After preaching, we have the last song, you know, like you do after the yeah, preacher sure, comes up. Sure. And during that time, we'd have people bring out trays of tea and coffee and cakes. And we had a rule that our cakes can't suck. They have to be better than Starbucks cakes, right? That's cool. the standard. They have to be homemade. So we'd have people baking. We wanted that third place idea from mm-hmm. Starbucks. This mm-hmm. is this is back in like 2005. No one had written right. the book yet. I was just a Starbucks employee yeah. and I transferred it over. And so what happened was people would, they would have a cup of coffee in their hand. They'd have like a homemade cake, something that they get a little excited about. And then these questions would go up and the leader would say, hey, there's no right or wrong answer here, guys. This is for you to dialogue. This is for you to get any good. I mean, the place you need to ask your questions is church. The place you should be able to be honest is church. And that would go for about maybe 20 minutes afterwards. And what we found is that only Christians wanted the one hour service. For lost people coming in, they they wanted to keep going. We'd have to shut them up or or keep meeting because – if you picture a non-believer, once he gets talking about spiritual things and he's interested, he doesn't want it to just be a short thing. Right. He's thinking, man, I've had these questions all my life. And so our service would go, you know, uh, usually about an hour and a half. And it, it just people just kept getting saved. And we would just we would just keep they, we would fold it down, you know, at, at the hour and a half mark. But the dialogue would just keep going and people would be going to lunch together. Like all this stuff that we're trying to make happen that, that, you know, we, I always tell people we, we suffer from churches and audience and all this stuff the pastor hammers on trying to get the people to do is trying to get them not to be an audience. Hmm. And so hardwired into our service was if you come here, you're going to get discipled. You're going to pray. You're going to have people, uh, learn to evangelize just by listening. That's a key part of evangelism, we're told. Um, that's my train that goes by. Yeah, they're, okay. they're going <laughs> to do. And, uh, and they're going to, they're going to actually get to experience evangelism on a regular basis. And it's, it's not a hard sell. It's not uncomfortable. It's all coming. We would teach people evangelism needs to come from the people. That, that are being evangelized. They lead. You follow. You let them lead. 
You go what with their questions, that kind of thing, let their questions yeah. lead the process. Yeah. Groups would get totally derailed, you know, and, and we would be cool. We would, we would teach them discernment that there may be a place where there's a real breakthrough happening for someone spiritually because of a question they ask. Then again, someone might go, what do you think so-and-so is the Antichrist? Okay. All right. That's, that's yeah, what yeah, we're yeah, not yeah. going there. Time out. Time out. Yeah. Okay. We're not going so there. we have this environment in North Point churches and we do it at Connexus. A lot of churches do outside of North Point as well called Starting Point, which is sort of like that. Did you basically mix small groups with Sunday morning? Was that your secret? We kind of did. Yeah. yeah. So you wouldn't have a midweek gathering. It would just be Sunday morning and you would kind of mix it up where you've got a large group and a small group component. Yeah, well, we would have we would have small groups in the week. And what we, we would tell people, okay. yeah, we would say we're a back to front church, but people would know that Sunday morning was was really primarily we're not there for us. Right. right? We're not there to make and once I did that, I was able to transform people into missionaries. Everybody was on mission on Sunday, wow. which was awesome. And then in the in the midweek, the home study, we do all the stuff that you couldn't do on a Sunday. So I would say, you know, we're supposed to, you know take bread and wine as office were together. So everything was based around eating. We always ate and then pray. You know, we would have prayer. We wouldn't go too long because we're realistic. We'd say, hey, if you pray too long and the spirit's not totally flown in it, you can get bored. And we, we were always super real and super transparent. But we say, but we do need to pray. And then the other thing was um, more discussion and people would get honest. I found most pastoral problems were worked out in those homes and in my secret yes. to church multiplication was that I saw, remember, I didn't want to be in ministry. I didn't want to be uh, a, a pastor. I don't want anything anymore from the ministry. Mm. I just wanted Christ to be loved and to be exalted and the gospel be spread and people to be saved. And so what I did is I, I vision envisioned each small group as a church plant in training. And so when you ask me how many churches, it's because of those that I didn't uh, plant a bunch of motherships, but I networked and I fostered church plants out of my church. That's to me the model of success. We'll get is to if, that. Okay, go yeah. ahead. No, we'll get to that in a second. Let me just ask you a question. How did you train your small group leaders to be open and responsive to people's dialogue rather than like shut them right down or like, ooh, can't ask about reincarnation here? Yeah. So um, I modeled it. So when we started, we had um, what I did is I, I started multiple small groups. And then what I would do is I would do it in, in different people's houses. But it's kind of like the, the Star Wars, you know, Jedi apprentice idea. I had a Padawan. Everything I did, I had a Padawan. Because remember, at this time, what I haven't told you is I still think I'm heading back to America. Right. So I'm trying to to just replace myself as fast as possible. And that's become something that's been hardwired into my DNA, something that I realized was very much a part of the Apostle Paul, um, that, that that was his secret to going so fast. It was on his first missionary journey, he plants and he doesn't have any team. It's just him and Barnabas and John Mark ditches him early on. And then he, you know, less than a year later, he's got to write the letter to the Galatians. Mm -hmm. So second missionary journey, he's all about recruiting teams and moving people all across the map and interchanging. Hey, Tychicus, go there. Hey, Titus, I'm leaving you on the island. Timothy, come to me quickly. And so it became all about team leadership, team planting. And that became my passion. So uh, accidentally, again, failing forward, not, not being smart enough to figure out acts, 
I just was, hey, you know, I, I'm not going to be here. So can you please um, shadow me? And I'm going to hand this over to you. And eventually, um, you know, so what I would do is I'd start them off. Uh, they would just watch the first night. I'd tell them at the end of the first night, hey, can you do communion like I did? Or can you just lead a prayer? And then the next week they would lead communion. Then the week after that, I'd say, hey, can you share a little devotion about, you know, worship at the beginning or, you know, whatever it was. And each week I gave them something higher. And it usually took about two to three months until they were standing on their own. And then I released it. So is that what you're doing in San Diego right now, in California right now, a model like that? No, actually, um, in Long Beach, yes, up until a year ago. And then I started working a year ago for the North American Mission Board. And what my current role is, is training church planning trainers uh, for for the country. That's cool. But when you were leading a local church, did you use that model where it was sort of large group, small group on Sunday and then midweek dialogue? Yeah, I'm kind of boring that way. That is my model. I'm sure there's a better one. So you did that in America (laughs) as well as in the UK. And then let's go to multiplication. So I can imagine that that's an intimate setting. What does that scale to? 50 people, 100 people, 200 people, 300 people? What does it scale to? You know, I learned learned something from a guy named Steve Timmis, who's the director of A29 in Western Europe. And basically, they had this thing on a crowded house, uh, which was a church started 30-something years ago. And so we're kind of new to the renewed house church movement. I'm not a house church guy. I'm an Acts 542 guy. You know, they met, um, you know, uh, daily, or they met in house to house uh, and in, in the temple courts. And so for me, I'm a temple courts and house to house combo mix. And so, but but what Steve did they were purely house church, but I loved this model. They had this thing called crazy eights. So what they would do is they would start with eight people, a small group. And so I, I like to start kind of smallish because of the intimacy. Mm-hmm. And then what would happen is they would say, invite, you know, 12 more lost people. And then what would happen is as they reached 20 total, they would launch off another uh, eight Right. That would move on and they would start another group, leaving 12, which then had to get eight more people until they. So, so one would go so 12. Yeah. yeah. So it would always be eight crazy eights just multiplying. And that was kind of a, a, a thing that for me with those small groups that was very effective that I adopted. And so you just kept doing that within a church or that was your church. It was just eight and 20 and then you reproduced again. <laughs> well, sort of. Um, what What's happened is. In each case, I gave a commitment to staying at each church for a year, um, kind of saying, well, you know, I'll, I'll help you get on your feet, help you plant your first church out, and then I'll leave. But the problem with training and reproducing yourself is I'm, I'm what's called a, I, I like to tell people I'm a serial church planner. In other words, I, I, I go preach the gospel, lay a foundation, raise up leaders, and get the heck out of Dodge. Yeah. But the problem is when I'm reproducing myself, I'm reproducing myself. So every time I raise a leader up, he goes, hey, you know what? I want to go church plant now. So my my challenge is finding people to stay. So I'm a a little bit like George Bailey in Bedford Falls. I'm trying to get out and I can't get out. And uh, (laughs) there you go. So 
so I'm getting better at that. But okay. um, but yes, we have uh, replaced uh, everything's about team leadership for me. So I'm gotcha. all about building a team. But again, my best team members usually are like, oh, I'm going to go to the, the, the projects in San Pedro or I'm going to go to Whittier. And so that's what happens. Hmm. Um, when you look across, because you deal now with the North American Mission Board, your podcast, your blog, all of that, you see the wider church. What mistakes do you see church leaders making in evangelism? What, what I see, um, first off, is um, we, we're still very much, and, and look, I'm by any means necessary. That's my philosophy. But I think we've got an over-reliance on being like admirals in the Navy, like we're on the, the battleship and we want to always bombard people with heavy artillery. Mm. And, and so it's big program evangelism. Now, I'm a believer in that because I think uh, if it gets people saved, and use it's it. something that, yeah, use it. Like, so I'm all for it. Plus, I look at Pentecost. The first thing the Holy Spirit did was save 3,000 people in mass. That's just the men on uh, not counting women and children on the day of Pentecost. So I'm in. Let's do it. But at the same time, I think we've over relied on that. Sure. And, and keeping in mind, that wasn't the norm in, in Pentecost. It was the daily trickle. It was the, the Lord added to their number daily as the average believers were doing their thing. And so I actually think we need to get more into a splinter cell, um, special teams, you know, special forces mentality, um, understand the power of the small group, understand the power of conversation, understand the power of testimony, which again, going back to acts, all these things you trace back, I'm, I'm pretty predictable. Hmm. Um, these days I pretty much just talk about what acts talks about because, you know, uh, like the testimony, your personal testimony, Ying Kai, uh, T4T. That model's taken the, the developing world by storm simply because people are learning the power of their testimony. And as I read the book of Acts, you see, you know, Luke, his hand's getting tired. It's a really long book in the Bible. But he writes out Paul's testimony not once, not twice, hmm. but three times he writes it out in full as if the Holy Spirit's telling us, hey, guys, look, this is a powerful deal. That's why I'm going to write it out again. Um, I'm not going to say, hey, refer to chapter 14 I, or, or Paul told his testimony again. He tells it again from another angle. And so I think just the average believer telling their testimony, you know, it's, it's so powerful. Now, if you're a larger church and 80, 90% of all church leaders lead smaller churches. But if you're leading a church of 1,000, 5,000, and I mean, we have leaders who listen who lead churches of 10, 20, 40, 50,000. How do you apply what you're learning to a larger context? Yeah, you know what's funny is um, I, I, think, I think the guy who's really good on this is Rick Warren. Mm -hmm. um, he, he said recently that uh, most other churches are trying to think big. He goes, I'm trying to think small. And apparently uh, he is the only uh, pastor I know of who he says our, our small group attendance is 200 percent. In other words, he has double the amount of people Whoa. in small groups uh, as to what he has in his church. Now, I, I accidentally, this is funny, I accidentally sat down next to him a few years ago at the Exponential Conference at the speaker's dinner. And I sat at the back table. I was late. So I sat down and went, oh, crud, because I realized Rick Warren's Rick sitting Warren's right, sitting next, right to next to me. right next to me. I must be at the wrong table. And uh, he ended up just chatting for three and a half hours, just sitting there 
talking, answering our questions. And that was what he had said was he is he is more committed to small groups. And he also uses small groups for communication. Dude is absolutely fascinating on this. I'll bet. So in other words, there's no barrier to size. You can scale this. It might look a little bit different, but the key is dialogue. Absolutely. That's the principle. So that's good. That's good. Hey, is there a question you wish somebody had asked you about church planning that nobody's ever asked you? Ooh, wow. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a good, I wish people had warned me um, how hard it was going to be. And it, it is hard. I I like to tell people church planning is the extreme sport of ministry. Um, (laughs) I think it all has its challenges, but, uh, we once ran a conference and one of the topics was why plan a church when you could hit yourself in the head repeatedly with a hammer. (laughs) And yet, (laughs) I wouldn't surprise. And yet at the same, yeah. And yet at the same time, I think, you know, people ask, is it hard? And and in one sense, yeah, it's the hardest thing that you'll do in ministry. And at the same time, it's the easiest because, again, if God's in it, he does the heavy lifting. Yeah. And there's stuff you just have to do as a church planner that that just makes it challenging in its own way. But uh, but nothing more rewarding and fulfilling yeah. as far as I'm concerned. That's cool. Hey, Peyton, people are going to want more. Where can they track with you? So one of the things I didn't mention was uh, I, I say I'm a serial church planner, but I, I also like to say ninja planner uh-huh. just because it sounds cooler and I like ninjas. So I have a, a, a website called PeytonJones.Ninja, and that's P-E-Y-T-O-N, Jones.Ninja, uh-huh. and you can find everything I'm involved in there including something that we're doing right now called uh, Jump School, which if you're starting a church, it is a seven-week small group curriculum for your core team. Uh, It's got videos. It was professionally done. We got study guides to go with it. It's the most asked question. I have a core team. How do I get them ready? How do I train them? What do I do with them? And you can also visit jumpschool.training. And you can get a link there to get that material. Okay, that's great. That's super helpful. Peyton, thank you so much. Thanks, Kerry. Enjoyed it, man. Isn't Peyton's realness just like inspiring? It's so honest and so real. I love his heart and I love people who are just passionate about reaching people who don't know Christ. That is so close to my heartbeat. As I know it is to many of yours, whether you lead in the corporate sector or in the church world, you're all passionate about the church. And I just want to thank you so much for that. Man, episode 100 with many, many more to come. Best way to make sure you never miss this stuff is to subscribe via whatever device you listen to this podcast on, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn Radio, make sure you do that. To all of you who have left ratings and reviews, I always thank you, but I just want to say thank you so much. I read them all, every single one of them. If you haven't done that yet, would would you do that? Would you just leave a rating and review? Uh, iTunes pays attention to that. And what they do is if like lots of people are subscribing and, and, um, you know, leaving ratings and reviews, they like take note of that. They tell other people about the podcast. So it's a way of kind of paying it forward. So just go to iTunes and make sure you do that. And uh, I would love to hear your review as the time I'm recording it, we're up to 384 reviews. So maybe we can hit 400, right? In uh, honor of our 100th episode. Hey, I'm back next week. Super excited to be bringing you more conversations. I'm not going to tell you what's on next week. 
I know, but I won't share it. Okay, you'll have to come back and find out. The best way you don't miss it is to subscribe. And we'll see you next Tuesday here on the podcast. Thanks for a great first 100. Make sure you follow me on Facebook so that you can win over the next week. Thank you. I so appreciate you. And I hope this time has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.